Kia ora and welcome to Cinema in Context, where we discuss all things film and the connections between. My name is Jeremy Downing. I'm William Chen. And today we are joined by a very special guest, Sinead Fitzgerald. Welcome, Sinead. Hi. Great to have you here, Sinead. Now, Sinead's an actor. She uh, works at a casting direction agency and has had a lot of experience with uh, film and film watching. Mm. So it's wonderful to have you here today. Thank you for having me. And we're going to be talking about two very big films today. As you know, each month at Cinema in Context, we discuss two films, one current and one retrospective with some connection. It could be the same director, the same actor or a similar theme. And this month we are discussing Battle Angel or Alita Battle Angel, which came out (laughs) recently. And Avatar, which came out 10 years ago now in 2009. And the connection being, they are both written by Mr. James Cameron, who I believe is a New Zealander now, right? He... <laughs> yeah, he's got a farm by Peter Jackson's house in Wellington, right? I, I think yeah. so. I think so. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, William, give us a bit of an overview of Alita Battle Angel. Of course. So, Battle Angel Alita, or Alita Bad Battle Angel, depending on which version you're looking for, uh, is a long gestating James Cameron adaptation of a manga originally by Yukito Kishiro. Uh, it was released as a OVA, I think, in the early 90s, so original animated short. But it's been the longest time, I think, since the 90s, since James Cameron actually acquired the rights to come up with this, this cyberpunk tale of a amnesiac teenage girl who's a cyborg and her adventures in this post-apocalyptic land with sports teams and <laughs> I don't know killbots and evil police states and classism uh, set again amongst the backdrop of a crumbling society of the future excellent and I would I mean Avatar I mean if you don't know what Avatar is then I would be quite surprised because it was the film of 2009 again another long gestating James Cameron piece uh, his previous film had been made 12 years before that Titanic um, which again if you don't know that film I'm you know why you listen to this podcast <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah so it was a 12 years in the making he had spent a lot of time doing a lot of underwater documentaries before then uh, and this sort of avatar project had been brewing for a long um, time even before the 12 year period I think since his childhood he had dreams of making stories in space in a kind of Fern Gully-esque world which I'm sure we'll get to talking about soon and uh, yes Avatar it follows Jake Sully he is a um, a marine who has lost the use of his legs through um, combat and because he shares DNA with his brother who is a much uh, more qualified scientific person than him um, he is well placed for the company to be able to use him in the Avatar project which is putting his brain into these Made up blue. What are you, I don't know how you. How would you call it? Giant blue alien people. Cat people. That are. I don't know. Yeah, giant it works. blue people. <laughs> giant blue alien cat people, and uh, and he goes in to infiltrate the uh, native um, indigenous society, the Navi, and through that falls in love with the culture and with one of the people, and um, and a war ensues between nature and industry. <laughs> there we go Avatar and Alita Where should we start? Which one should we start with? Can we talk about James Cameron first? Let's go I mean, it is absolutely crazy how the, this one guy and his visions have created not one But two of the highest grossing movies of all time uh, And both very, very different movies But it's just somehow I, I think both these movies show that Or at least they show me His, his writing is... 
is pretty blunt. I mean, it, the, these movies are, are all about big emotions and big heart, but somehow he always manages to capture uh, this zeitgeist that audiences love and want to come back to again and again. And I, I'm, I'm sure, like, Alita Battle Angel, is, is, it's not going to do as well as his two previous films. And it, it's, it's actually directed... Sorry, we forgot to mention that it's directed by Robert Rodriguez. Mm. Um, so it's a collaboration between the, uh, Rodriguez's Troublemaking Studios and James Cameron's productions. Um, so it does feel different from a Cameron movie, but it's still... Yeah, it has that sense of grandeur, um, but in a very simple almost straightforward kiddish kind of way which I find fascinating mm. yeah I mean he's he's had hit after hit after hit mm-hmm. after hit mm-hmm. I don't think Cameron has had a flop no ever I mean his first film apparently was Piranha 2 which he snuck <laughs> into the studio to like edit every night um, but yeah I mean I'm a massive Aliens fan as I'm sure you both know and Terminator Terminator 2 uh, yeah Abyss love, love it the mm-hmm. only flop he's ever made was giving away the rights Determinator. Oh, nice. Mm, that's nice. it. But, I mean, he's got it back now. Yeah. So. What, what do you think he's going to do with the Terminator franchise? I mean, I'm a massive Linda Hamilton fan. Terminator 2 will always be my favourite film alongside Titanic. So to have Linda Hamilton back in Terminator is just... Oh, give, I don't care if it's the crappiest movie ever. She's in it. She's back as Sarah Connor. So I'm going to love it no matter what. Mm, yeah. Cool. Yeah. I, I really, when I was a kid, I watched the third Terminator. I was like, oh, that's not too bad. And then it's one of those movies you go back and watch, and you're like, <laughs> That's really bad casting. <laughs> yeah. And then the third one was, oh, the fourth one. I actually quite enjoyed the fourth one. Really? It was the first two acts. Salvation? Fourth one, yeah. Uh, directed by Mick G, who mm-hmm. also did Charlie's Angels and the first episode of Chuck. Hey. Um, yeah. So he's a pretty cool director. Um, and... I mean, there were obviously a lot of squabbles on that set with Christian Bale, but, um, you know, he, the director stands very firmly on the side that he believes Christian Bale is a great actor, which is mm-hmm. true. Um, but I thought the only the only thing that annoyed me about that film was just um, Sam Worthington's lack of being able to stabilise an American accent, which is just, just keep it as an Australian. If you can't do an American accent, that's fine. You know, it does. Sometimes cyborgs can have Australian accents. <laughs> That's fine. Let's not limit that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, that film, I agree with you, Sinead, and I think that film, the first two acts I really enjoyed, and then it just all falls to pieces. Like, when um, when Christian Bale's character, John Connor, goes into the compound, I'm like, what? Like, and I think I read in like, the, the preparation for that movie, uh, it was originally going to be, what's his face? I just said his name. Christian Bale playing the robot character. Mm. It, but, um... But then he was like, "No, I'm not playing that character. I'm playing John. I'm playing um, John Connor. And John Connor was only supposed to show up at the end of oh, the film. Hmm. Interesting. Um, so they kind of had to reject the movie. But then the, the latest Terminator movie was so bad. It was um, fan fiction. Oh, it was, was, what it was. So and, what? and it retconned yeah. the whole original film. Yeah, and it didn't answer any of the mysteries that it had promised, and not mm. in a way like." you know, you should be happy that it's a mystery. It's like, no, you just, that, that's actually <laughs> fundamental to the story you're telling. Like, we don't actually know where the Arnie character came from. Yeah. I mean, I I loved 
the father-daughter bond between Sarah Connor and the Terminator. I thought that was, you know, lighting up the little fan fan in my heart. Um, but in terms of a good film, it was a, it really contradicted everything that the series was supposed to be. And it did really feel like I was reading some fan fiction <laughs> or, you know, a fan who had won a competition and got to write a script. Um, yeah. Have either of you been to Universal Studios to see Terminator 2 3D? Yes. Yes, I have. Yeah, I I think I've been on that ride four times. Fantastic. Yeah, I remember, and you go into the Cyberdyne Systems. Yeah, and it's like, yeah. okay, welcome to Cyberdyne Systems, and it's great. <laughs> um, I love that show. Um, and James Cameron directed and produced like that. That's the the definitive sequel to T two, and that's all. We that's need. all you need. <laughs> I don't know what happens. What's the story? Oh, so you um, you come into a foyer of Cyberdyne Systems, and they're taking you on their tour of um, their up and coming models. So you go into this auditorium, you take a seat, and they start showing off all this weapon tech that Cyberdyne has constructed and then John Connor comes in through the ceiling and Sarah Connor comes in through somewhere else and then Arnie turns up on a motorbike across the stage like live actors yeah live actors and then the T-1000 turns up and there's a lot of 3D of like knives coming through the um through the movie theater but um because the, the time yeah. portal opens up, they all jump into it, and they jump into the, the movie screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it turns into a three D movie while the people are coming in and out of the screen as you know proper Arnold on celluloid, and then suddenly it's Arnold Stanton being an actor, and it's mm. amazing. Like the yeah. the special effects were really good for the time that it was released, but I think <laughs> the last time I saw it was twenty sixteen. Uh, when I went to Orlando and it just, yeah, the, <laughs> the special effects, like, I'll buy into any T2-related thing, mm. but it just it didn't do it for me. Mm. It was better left for a 10-year-old Sinead to enjoy mm. rather than 20-year-old. Well, well, let's talk, talk about that. Let's talk about special effects because we've already had a brief conversation today mm. about the special effects in Avatar, and I suppose let's jump into that. So, so James Cameron, he, you know, Titanic was freaking amazing. I Absolutely. love that film, mm-hmm. and it's a film that every time I go back and start watching, I end up just watching the whole thing because it's just. My dad and I watch it religiously at least once a year. I will mention it in passing. Say, is it time to go back to the Titanic? Yes, <laughs> I think it is. Oh. So it's that film that we watch. I think maybe three times a year, mm. and then Terminator Two as well, three times a year. Nice. Nice, Matrix, nice. if we're lucky, but that's a that's a whole other tangent. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. See, I'm like that with um, like I've already mentioned the aliens. I just I love that movie and the escalation so of how that grows. Mm. I wasn't talking about Avatar, I'm talking about aliens, but just like how it's like an hour of slow burn. Mm. And James then, Cameron just makes good stuff, you guys. He does. <laughs> I think what okay, let's talk. What he does do well is he talks about he he does his groundwork with his characters. Like he yeah. spends mm. time. Mm. Like same with Titanic, it's like an hour and a half before any kind of major mm. event happens. Um, it's all in terms of like plot, but it's all character just just built up and and all the tensions are built up so that he can just escalate situations and you're fully there in the moment. Like I think about aliens and how it's like they're trying to get out of the compound and then they you know the, the aliens are in the roof and then they're getting out and then the girl goes missing and then they get the girl and she's got to go down to the queen lair and then she gets out and then there's the queen on the ship and she has to do this, but it just goes yeah it's just mm-hmm. amazing. But, okay, so Avatar, so 10 or 12 years later, he spends all this time on Avatar, um, and it's a wholly 3D world, pretty much. There's a, there's a bit of live action in there. Hmm. And it's it's very much a far cry from the, the pre... I mean, the Star Wars prequel films kind of ushered in an age of, like, 
digital filmmaking, digital filmmaking, three D animated filmmaking, yeah. and for better or for worse, because you know on its own the, the digital worlds look great, but then when they composite the real actors into it, it starts to look mm-hmm. a bit goofy. Not really the case with Avatar. Oh, I suppose theirs is a three D, fully three D world anyway, isn't it? There's not many human characters that show up unless they're in like suits or something. Mm. But yeah, I when I went back and rewatched it, I really I thought it looked great. But you, but Sinead, it was your first time watching the film. Yeah, right? I had never I had never seen Avatar. Mm. I remember it came out in two thousand nine, and I watched the trailer for it, and it was always in played in Noel Leeming on those like three D oh, TVs. Yeah. So I could go in and watch snippets of it. But I always said whenever someone asked me, I said if I wanted to watch a movie about blue people, I'd watch the Smurfs. And <laughs> I was very adamant. And then when of course I was invited to do this, I was like, okay, well now's the time. Um, and watched it and I just ten years I mean in the space of ten years, VFX has just changed dramatically and especially after watching Alita and the amazing special effects in that, and then watching Avatar, it was just... I was unable to buy into the special effects, unfortunately, mm. because of the massive... the, the 10 years. Mm. Um, yeah, it just didn't... I wish I had seen it in 2009, because I feel like I would have had more of a connection to it than mm-hmm. just watching it and thinking... This is just special effects in a Pocahontas backstory. Yeah, it really is a Pocahontas backstory. It is <laughs> Fern Gully with a mix of the Marines from Aliens. Mm. I, I mean, complete with the Pocahontas side characters as well. There's a Coco Arm standing. I was <laughs> he even that, looks like Coco Arm with the high forehead and the dad. Yeah. And I was like, I was saying to to Adam, I was saying, that's that's Coco Arm. Oh, Coco Arm's gonna fight. No, <laughs> that's classic Coco Arm. Yeah, he's gonna die as well. That's classic Coco Arm. It's just. <laughs> yeah, it was almost as though you could predict the whole the whole story. Yeah, I think I will say the the world building of uh, Pandora and all of that still really holds up for me. Yes, the the characters, including the fauna and the humans and the Navi, they they do look like cartoons. Even the live action segments look really cartoonish. I don't know what kind of CGI sheen they had on the actors. But it just doesn't look like real people, especially mm. on you know a smaller screen. But the world building, it, it does feel like a believable place. And that, that feeling, I think, still comes through 10 years later, at least for me. Yeah, it did for me as well, mm-hmm. because last year we went to Orlando again oh, and went nice. to Animal Kingdom, and they have the world of Pandora there and these massive floating... Um, it's just, it's incredible. It's its taken directly from the world. Mm, so yeah. to see that and then watch it on the screen, it's just, you know, a full credit yeah, that wow. it was definitely something I can buy into. That's, mm-hmm. that's incredible technology there. I, I didn't love the film when I first saw it. I didn't, I thought it was a good film. I, I went along 3D, you know, shoveled into these, there were tiny cinemas at the time, the 3D cinemas as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and the 3D thing didn't really impress me that much. It sort of became not 3D after the next 10 minutes, the first 10 minutes of the film. But I wasn't that impressed with the story for those reasons. I was like, this is just a pretty stock standard, you know, Pocahontas-style film. Yeah. So I was like, okay, this is fine. I think I might have seen it twice at the cinema back then, and then I haven't hadn't seen it since. So it's yeah. been 10 years since I've seen it. Mm. But I really enjoyed it. I think um, just the impressive, impressive nature of how he does build characters. I wonder if it's to do with the fact that it has such a clear vision and arc and flow, and we're being conditioned at the moment a lot of our films are re-edited and re-edited and re-edited mm. and, like, a lot of quick cuts. And um, like all the Marvel movies are just, like, these jigsaw pieces that work overall. Mm. Yeah. But in terms of, like, 
fluid filmmaking. It's just lots of pieces all kind of pieced together. Just like Alita Battle Angel. Wow, yeah, true. <laughs> Literally pieced together. Some of those oh, characters. yeah, that too, that too. <laughs> um, but yeah, absolutely agree, Jimmy. There's such, even though, yes, the storyline is pretty bog standard and it's simple as, but just something about knowing where the character ends up and seeing the complete journey and everything fe- feeling so realized and even with the side characters as well like Michelle Rodriguez's character yeah, I, for- I, forgot she was- <laughs> I forgot she was in it she was in both of them yeah yeah she was in Alita she was well. Alita's mentor she in the, the flashbacks uncredited oh yeah. I did not know I was trying to figure out who that was yeah cool didn't look like yeah. her at all did it no no, mm. no. creepy teeth the thing that <laughs> the creepy teeth thing that I loved about well yeah, I think James Cameron is an incredible filmmaker. He does subtle spectacle so well. Mm. Um, but another thing that I love, which I buy into so much, is his soundtracks. Mm. Like his, just it, he creates worlds from the soundtracks. They just give me goosebumps every time I hear the soundtrack of the Titanic. Mm. And I could hear the Titanic soundtrack in Avatar. Mm. There were moments, and I was like, this is just a tie-in of all of his films. It did, just... feel, it did feel like that. I would yeah. agree with that, eh? Like, you've got aspects of each of his movies yeah. all kind of in there. You've got the science fiction and the... Like in Alita, where they pick up the Terminator skull, and I was yeah, like, there yeah, you yeah. go. <laughs> they? Yeah, there were so many different allusions to Terminator in that film, which I was like, I'm here, I can buy into this. <laughs> I missed that. Um, let's talk about the 3D aspect, because that has disappeared, thankfully, mm. from our from our going land, cinema-going landscape. It was like the big new thing, but I, was, I, was never, I don't think I never bought into it, and I just guess audiences never really bought into it either. Um, I, I guess, well, two films, Avatar and How to, How to Train Your Dragon. I think they are the definitive 3D experience. Oh, and Gravity, sorry, the third one. Um, but the, the one that connects, the one thing that connects all three movies is flight, right? Or mm. sense of floating. Mm. And it's so difficult to do. And you see other films, uh, the Transformers movies, for example, that try to do the same spectacle and the same sensation of floating, but it just doesn't work. And there's something about Avatar and the first Hell Train Dragon and Gravity, which is, it's unique. And I think to capture that has been so tricky technically that, you know, audiences just don't get that experience anymore. And, you know, why, why go to a 3D movie if you don't have that 3D feel? Mm. Especially if you have glasses, because then yeah. you have to put the glasses <laughs> so on top of your glasses. But I, when I watched it, obviously the version I watched wasn't in 3D, you could see the definitive parts of the film that were designed to be 3D. And I guess it was kind of like a bit of a disappointment to have missed out on that. I feel like it would have been quite even more of a spectacle to see it in 3D. Um, But I can't even remember the last 3D film I watched. I honestly think it was a James Cameron film. I think it was a remastered James Cameron film. In cinemas. Ah, cool. Yeah, either Titanic or Terminator. Wow. Yeah. I think for me it was Suicide Squad. <laughs> really? Was it in 3D? I mean, it was on those post-converted things, but it was pretty cool. Like, um, the credits all popped out and it was really flashy 3D and it's like, this is what I paid for. <laughs> I really enjoyed Tron in 3D. I'll give, I'll oh, give it that. Because nice. they did the whole Wizard of Oz um, construct where in the real world it was in 2D and you're wearing mm-hmm. your glasses and you don't really notice. And then when you went into computer land, it went... <laughs> oh, I was like, wow. Wow, this is cool. It's like what they did for Coraline as well where, you know, in the real world it is really, really flat. And when she goes into the tunnel, the whole film stretches inwards. Uh, really I cool effect. That film. That's cool. 
Okay, Battlestar, or Battlestar. Battle, what is it called? Angel. Battle Angel. Battle Angel. Angel. The title is way too long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A long titles, eh? Um. Lord of the Rings brought that in. Um, and we've sort of still got it. Uh, yeah, what do people think? What do, what do we think about Alita? I thought the storyline was too predictable. I thought um, I was sitting in the cinema with Adam and as soon as he gave her the name Alita and I saw the look between the doctor and his assistant, I just turned to him and I was like, this is his daughter's body. <laughs> um, he's given her his daughter's body. And he's like, how did you know? I'm like, look at the look. At the look. They've just completely set it up and there was no... There's no, you know, it was, it was a, e- very easy to guess. Mm. Mm. Actually, it's worth mentioning. I didn't mention this. Full spoiler alert, people. <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> that wasn't a major one. That's at the start of the movie, right? So we're all good. But full spoiler alert. So, um, yeah, we will be talking about everything in full, full spoilerific fashion. Um, yeah. <laughs> carry on. Carry on, Sinead. <laughs> yeah, and I just, yeah, it was, a, it was a film that I, oh, the action sequences were just incredible. I loved it. Um, it just took me back to the Matrix, um, mm. which was I know kung fu. It was great. Mm. It was so 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 great. Um, but yeah, in terms of the storyline, it was yeah not not as good as I thought it was going to be. And I was quite disappointed with the ending because at the going rate of how this film is going and its projection in the box office, which was not good on President's Weekend. I don't think they'll make another one. <laughs> and so now it's like, now you're just leaving me with my own fan fiction. I'll just create it myself and be constantly disappointed. <laughs> Alita will never confront Ed Norton in person. I know. Like, <laughs> and also, who knew that was Ed Norton until he like took off the little that tiny was glasses? That pretty great. And everyone went, oh, I know that I, guy. I, I recognise him, not not immediately, but I recognise him, as, I think, the scene before he was in it. Oh, really? Yeah. With, with the glasses on? Yeah, I was like, who oh. is that guy? He's so big. And then I was like, I think it was the mole that gave him. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I feel like the film, like, I, I describe it as, it's a four-star film. It's a three-star film for me that's going to get four stars because the action was so good. Mm. Like, And it was so good, not just because it was good action, but because I really cared about Lita. Mm. Like, I just, she, every moment that she's on the screen and every time the story's following her, I was loving life. But every time it went away from her... And focused on Hugo? Hugh, oh, he's terrible, that actor. <laughs> he looks great, mm. but he's such a bad Does actor. He, I think he looks a little puffy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I would... I, oh man, sorry. I, I'm just gonna hijack it here because here you go. I, I thought, why do they? Why do they have such terrible casting? It reminded me of um, Valerian in the City of a Thousand Planets. Oh, we, we, we've talked uh, about this before in a podcast, haven't we? <laughs> I've never seen that. It's, oh boy, it's it, Luc Besson who yeah. did Fifth Element. Oh, I love Fifth Element. Yeah, and it's Multiplast. kind of Fifth Element esque, but yeah. it's just, you loved it. Didn't you? I, I really like that movie. We wrote it to shreds. The lead, <laughs> the lead of that movie, Dane DeHaan, is mm. so woefully miscast mm. that the movie would have been. I, I, I honestly think it would have been spectacular if they just cast someone else, just mm. anyone else. Um, and I have the same feeling for Hugo, played by Kian Johnson, who's just—he's a pretty boy, but he's so—he's—he has this anti-charisma about him. That even, like, I, I think Alita herself works really well, and I, I love how she's a fully digital creation. And it's a little scary how, you know, after a little while, after you're, you know, used to seeing the, the CGI character, yeah. uh, for me, like, my brain recognized that she was part of the world around her, that she wasn't a CGI character around anymore, and that's amazing. But he just, he never felt realistic. His arc is. 
hilarious, <laughs> um, especially in the last third of the film, where he goes through so many character changes mm. with the same expression on the face. He dies with the same expression on his face. Um, I gotta yeah. say, I cried during that bit. Oh, uh, when yeah. he falls? When he falls, oh. I was just like, <laughs> girl, you worked so hard to save this piece of work, and now he's just falling to pieces. you got to live your life. <laughs> uh, okay, jumping to the end, it's pretty great how um, he, he dies, yeah. and he's given a second lease of life in a robot body, and it's like, oh, you know, we're not so different, you and I. And the first thing he decides to do is to basically sacrifice himself. I'm going to climb this thing. Yeah, let's do it. He's <laughs> not even sacrificing himself. He's just like, you know, thanks, Alita, for saving me and decapitating me and putting mm-hmm. me on a robot body. That's all great. Um, so I think we're good here. I'm mm. going to go mm. and do what I want to do. Uh, you good here? Great. <laughs> <laughs> it's like... Gratefulness. The, the, the guy who plays his friend, uh, who's the lead in Bumblebee, or the male lead in Bumblebee, um, I think his name is. I think Ho- he's on Jorge or Jorge. Is that the one that something? got cut in half? Yes. And yes. Is, is he off I Love Simon? The Love Simon order. Oh, I think I he's the friend. He's on the. Have you all seen that? Yes, I have. I think he's the friend in that. Uh, hmm. He should have been the male lead. He was way better. Yeah, yeah. yeah he's cool. And I loved um, Lana Condor, who was. Um, to all the boys I've loved. Have you seen oh, that? Oh, yeah. And that's like, she's, yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, she's right. a great actress. Is she the lead? Uh, and to all the boys well, I've loved. Was she yeah. also Jubilee in um, the recent X-Men movie? Yes, she was. Oh, she's she, the other friend. She was yeah. the other ah, friend. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Mm. Yeah, she was cool. I, I agree with you. Those two were, those were much more interesting. With Hugo, there's a scene where he goes and t- talks to the, his friend to tell him that he wants, like, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> But he does it like when he needs to be somewhere else <laughs> while he's like ripping someone's limbs off. I'm like, surely there's a better time to have this conversation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if I necessarily agree with the casting point. I think he, I think he was a good actor. I just don't think this character in the way that he was written could have been anything else other than what he was Mm. like that moody broody kind of um stone-faced i only have one expression really tied in and was it worked really well against alita and who she was Mm. and it created this really nice pair of chemistry just to see two opposites attract Mm. um i thought he was a good actor but i feel like there were moments where he needed to be pushed more or perhaps it was the timing of the overall film. Like it, I agree. Like it was really weird timing. You know, you're supposed to be watching a leader <laughs> kick butt at, at the roller derby with, for robots. And you're confronting your friend who's now ripping limbs off. <laughs> timing is everything. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, hear I mean, I did enjoy him for the first part of the film. Like mm. I was like, oh, he's cool. He's got a good look and he's, like you know, pretty boy, and he's a nice. He's a nice in terms of her like kind of childlike wonder that mm. kind of works. But maybe it is the arc because it just it just fell to pieces. Well, fell to pieces is the part we're going to use. Both senses of the, the word. <laughs> I really like Jennifer Connelly in, in general. Yeah, um, yeah. And she just, I just love seeing her on screen. And um, I cannot say I don't know his Ma- name. Mahashala Ma- Ali. Yes, he's yeah. wonderful. He's an incredible. I wish actor. he had more to do though. Like I wish that those characters were introduced and are only in the film through the lens of Alita. Like mm. I feel like that could have happened mm. because whenever I jumped to their different scenes, it was just like, whoa, we're losing the focus here. Like yeah. this, this is exposition. Like it could have been told 
mm. all through her eyes, mm-hmm. her massive eyes. Yeah. <laughs> so big. Emotive. And, of course, Christoph Waltz. Oh, oh he's just he's incredible. Great. Although I, um, I, I thought the image of him holding the giant, like, rocket axe yeah. it was hilarious because he, he's not a big man mm. no. uh, and, and even wearing the trench coat he's just this you know this this old dude holding this gigantic yeah. weapon like threatening people yeah. I mean I get that you can't have guns in this yeah. world and it's illegal and whatnot, but you're a scientist dude make a smaller more efficient weapon because by the time you get it into the wall mm. and then pick it back mm. out again you're screwed <laughs> <laughs> design is something he definitely needs to work on. I did think some of the, the special effects around the faces on those robots was a bit goofy. Mm. Um, that was my one criticism. Of the, like, everything else looked amazing, but like, when that girl like ripped off her cloak and she was the, all the things. Oh, and she right. Was, yeah. yeah. It, it, just it kind of just looked like... Have you ever seen Hellraiser? Yeah, yeah. The, the, some of the first ones. Yeah. Well, there's one of the demon things, and she's got like this face pinned back, and it kind of just looked like... That robot and Alita had had very bad cosmetic surgery, mm. or that robot that's been released in China, the the new AI, and she's oh. like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, robot head, but like, um, face, for, skin yeah, for face. lack of a better word, like a doll face yeah. just put on, and it just looks like you couldn't have done. <laughs> Taking a little bit more time to do that. Uh, on that, I loved, I loved the body, the Alita body, the daughter one, and just the beautiful ornate. The carvings. Mm-hmm. That was a really lovely touch. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and also just such a sense of um, of triumph when she gets her final berserker body or whatever it is. I was mm-hmm. like, yay! Like, that, any, the whole story, I was just along for the oh, ride. Oh, that scene where she finds it in the spaceship mm. and she just walks into the water. That was amazing. Yeah. I loved that. Yeah. It was just, it was just um, incredible. The weight of it, eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, that's interesting. So the next um, Avatar film is going to be mostly set underwater. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's and I think Kate Winslet's in it, and she's um, had to film her motion capture stuff underwater. And Wait, she, really? Yeah. Wow. She could hold her breath for up to seven minutes by the time they finished their filming. That's... Wow, that's dedication. Which I mean, it was filmed in New Zealand, right? So we missed out on Kate Winslet, guys. My, I have friends of mine who, um, who housed her and her husband and their kids at... Like the uh, B and B or something. They just like the guests arrived on a helicopter, and it was Kate Winslet, and they just came and hang out with them at their farm, and like she was breastfeeding, and just you know that moment when you realise that these people are just ordinary people. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. gosh! Yeah, I know. I'm such a Kate Winslet fan. Oh, she's incredible. It's pretty amazing that she's done. You know, she's done this. They're filming mocap underwater. Mm-hmm. Because um, James Cameron's like, it just doesn't look real otherwise. Which mm. I'm like, go you, James Cameron. Did you see his comments on Aquaman? Yeah. Yes, shady. <laughs> well, he kind of, it kind of was shady. Kind it, was, of was like, it was a backhanded compliment. Yeah. It was, it was yeah. really backhanded. Um, <laughs> and it was like Greek myth, but water physics don't work like that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so obsessed with some of those details, eh? Water has been a massive part of his whole career. Mm. Mm. Um, and then the fact that she would go back and work with James Cameron... With water, when she had such a horrible time on the Titanic. <laughs> on the Titanic. Yeah, yeah. It was quite interesting, eh? Mm. It'd be interesting to know how they, whether it's because she's just a bit older or whether he's maybe matured a bit, or I don't know. It's be interesting to know how that relationship kind of came back together. Can we uh, talk a little bit about the script of Alita and how, how, just, how truncated but also slapdash it feels? 
I, I really think the movie would have been a lot stronger if they don't cram in so much stuff because there's yeah. just so much stuff. It's like four four books, isn't it? Yeah, one film. Uh, it's it's definitely at least stuff from three different manga volumes. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, well, um, so that's yeah. why there's the motorbore. Uh, is it called motorbore? What's it called? Um, yeah, that sounds good. So, so, so <laughs> mo- okay, motorbore and quote unquote. <laughs> so that stuff is it's a complete like arc for her in one of the volumes. Um, and I guess because it looks really cool, right? And so so why not cram that stuff in here as well and I just feel like it really muddles her arc mm. um, because at the end you have that time skip and she's a she's a superstar now like sports star yeah three months later yeah <laughs> okay. it was it yeah there was a bit of an yeah. old time skip eh? yeah I mean this is a so Robert Rodriguez let's talk about him because oh, we yes, talked a lot about James Cameron so he took the script from Cameron and because Cameron's like I'm still working on this it's still mm-hmm. not finished and he took it and he kind of did his thing on it I mean, look, Rodriguez is a, such a hit and miss director. He does everything, right? So he's mm-hmm. his, he writes his films, he sound edits them, he does the music, he yeah. films them, he does the special effects. Like he just and he does a, it quickly as well. He's like a one man band. Yeah, um, and that's amazing. Like that turns out great for um, Sin City. The first Sin City. Sin City. And Spikers I, movies. The first Spikers movie. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I stand by the second Spikers. I don't know. Lost, Lost Dreams is fantastic. I haven't actually seen it. Okay. It's been incredible. I'm just going to stick with the first one. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen all the Spikers and it still weirds me out to see them now. Mm-hmm. Like, you're, why are you old? <laughs> and um, and the girl of Spy Kids was like a sexy... Alexa Vega. Yeah. And, um, she was Planet like, Terror. But not Planet oh, Terror. No, no. And, um, and Machete. Oh, that's so right. Yes. like this busty kind of yeah. like... Working know. with... Um, what's his name? Uh, he played the uncle in the first... Danny Trejo. Danny, Danny Trejo, yeah. Yeah, and I think she's coming on to him or something. Or no, she's like... Oh, weird. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, I love Planet Terror. Mm-hmm. Big, big fan of Planet Terror. Mm. I haven't gone back and watched it since um, Rose McCowan's kind of political mm. activism. And particularly, she's such a highly sexualized character in that film. Mm. I, I don't know what that's like to go back and watch, but I do love that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and then who can forget the the classic um, Shark Boy and Lava Girl, uh, which you know ta- young Taylor Taylor Lautner, Lautner uh, based on um, a ch- his child's dreams or something. So that's really strange. I didn't know that he did Shark Boy versus Lava Girl because yeah. I was thinking while I was watching Alita, I was like, it's like Shark Boy and Lava Girl. <laughs> She's like, love you. And I honestly, I can't tell you, I can't tell you the moment where I, I can't pinpoint it to a specific moment, but there was just an image. I was like, she's like, love you. <laughs> <laughs> what a weird, weird thing to think of. Have yeah. you seen Sin City 2, Dame to Kill 4? I have not. No. Um, I was really enjoying, because I've read the, the books, mm. I was really enjoying the first two stories. And then the third story um, is interesting but it just doesn't fit into the chronology of the stories. Like, there's characters that turn up that, mm. are, that are dead. Um, and I'm like... And it got to a point where it's, it's Jessica Alba's character, and she's kind of on this revenge trail. Mm. And I, it gets to a point where she's going to burst into this the big head honcho's office, and, you know, she kind of goes on a big killing spree. Um, she has sort of scars all over her face, and she's chopped all her hair off, and mm. she's quite cool. And um, the Mickey Rourke character's with her the whole time, and he kind of does stuff. And I was like, there's no, this doesn't make sense. He shouldn't be alive because he dies before the Bruce Willis story. Yeah. In the, you know, in, in the, first, in the first one. Yeah. And so then I was like, oh my gosh, this film will just be amazing to me if it turns out that it's, he's actually in her head and she's doing all this amazing thing, things on herself, like yeah. through the spirit of Marv, but mm-hmm. like she's doing it. But it wasn't that. It, he was just kind of helping her. And I was like, 
Oh, boo. <laughs> but the first two stories are great. Like, um, mm. what's her name? Eva Green is just incredible oh, as the dame to kill for. Yep. But it does feel like, and I've gone back and watched Sin City, and it doesn't hold up. Like, the special effects don't hold up. What was amazing, what was so groundbreaking about that film was the style of that film. Yeah. So does it just look super cartoony now? Or? It looks fine, but it's just we've seen so many films, like the Jack, Zack Snyder kind of mm. overwhelming nature of comic yep. book movies. We're so used to that, some of the imagery now, whereas back then, like, the silhouette and the black and white, like, it was just, it we'd was, never seen it was anything like that before. Like, I did love... Yeah. The Elijah Wood death scene, that and that still <laughs> holds up for me. You know the the dogs. See yeah. how how what hungry dogs will do. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. loved it. Um, and great transition from Frodo, eh? Like definitely mm, Kevin. Is it Kevin? His name's yeah. Kevin. Yeah, eh? his name's Kevin. With the with the sharp fingernails. Oh, mm-hmm. creepy. Yeah. Just oh. Yeah. Um, Ro- Ro- Rosario Dawson. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. She was the leader of the prostitutes, yeah. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm. some cool characters. Some really cool characters. I mean, and Alexis Bledel. Yeah. No. Yes. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Goss- uh, Gossip Girl. Um, Gilmore Girls. Gilmore Girls to this. And mm. I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Rory went off the rails. <laughs> <laughs> She's still got crosses. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, no, he's, so he's definitely hit and miss. And he hasn't really done... What has he done? Written the Machete films. I started watching the second Machete film and it was pretty bad. Mm. He did... Um, from Dust Till Dawn. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I love From Dust Till Dawn. But it's a Tarantino and him mix. Yeah. And did he do Grindhouse as well? Yes, yeah, so Planet oh, Terror. Yeah. Yeah. And Death Proof. I love Death, Death Proof. Death Proof. Oh. That's one of my favorites. It's such a good film. Yeah. Which, of it's course, is so good. Kurt, Kurt Russell. Yeah. And yeah. Zoe Bell. You've got Rosario Dawson. Yeah. Um, Teresa, uh, Teresa Toms. Knows what's her name. So good. Yeah. Desperado. Our Mariachi. Um, once Upon a Time in Mexico. I loved that film, mm. uh, Johnny Depp with No Eyes. Mm. Yes, you have all of my sympathy in the world. So he's really good at gimmicks. Mm-hmm. Like, he's really good at, so like Planetary, the, the gun leg. Um, mm. he, can, he can pull off those gimmicks. Mm. Um, and he does have some amazing stylistic uh, intuition. Mm-hmm. You know, like, mm. I think Alita, there are some really cool moments in that movie. And it's and Rodriguez brings that kind of energy to it. Yeah, I, I think what, what you said about Shark Boy and Love Alarm <laughs> Girl... <laughs> Um, I got a sense of that, except with Spy Kids during the motorball. Uh, what's it called? Motorball. Yeah, yeah motorball yeah. segments. Where just something about the digital filmmaking of Robert Rodriguez feels much more, much more digital mm. than what James Cameron does, and it definitely comes through in those mech on mech like sports battles. Uh, just something about it is slightly off. Like the physics aren't quite right. Everything is a little bit frenetic, uh, to put a final point on it. Um, but no, definite, definite flashbacks to some of the latest Spikers movies, which are, you know, I mean, they are purely digital creations, mm. a lot of them. But of course, it's intentional. It's supposed to be cartoony, whereas this is not, so it feels a, a little weird. Mm. Yeah, and I'm still thinking about the um, the giant, I can't remember his name, but the giant uh, robot that's trying to kill oh, Alita. Oh, um, uh, um, uh, the Jackie O'Haley character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I didn't know it was him until after no. the movie. Yeah. I didn't know that mm. until now. Mm. Um, and just his face plastered on the robot. Mm. And you look at Alita and the and she's just absolutely stunning. And part of your brain is like, I know this is CGI. And the other part of your brain is like, she cries and look how believable she looks. Mm-hmm. Um, and you buy into it. But with his character, it was more like, why even have the face on there? Just, it doesn't look real. I can't buy into this. Just, just it didn't need to be there. Mm. I'm just thinking about that comment I made earlier about kind of going back and watching Planet Terror based on what's happened over the last 10 years. 
One of the things that really hit me with Avatar was the commentary on indigenous culture. Mm-hmm. And I think um, just through my experience and just kind of living firsthand at how, how much colonization has impacted the kids that I've taught over the last four years and that kind of whole narrative and just being, as a white man, kind of my eyes being opened to that kind of institutionalized racism and prejudice. Yeah. It hit me in, in Avatar, the just the, the, the indigenous culture and the treatment of the indigenous culture and the kind of off-the-cuff way that these people were talking about it. it. It didn't feel as alien to me as it did when I maybe first watched it or as old school or as it happened in the past. It's like, I've heard people talk about this, about Māori culture today, you know? I've heard people talk about this, about Samoan culture and... And I was crying quite... Like, I cried when that tree got pulled down. Oh, I was mm. crying as well. And I just... Like, it really got me in, 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 in a way that if anything kind of touches on, like... Like, for me, like anything touches on, like, child abuse or um, or kind of indigenous cultures being damaged or anything, I'm just a bit of a mess mm-hmm. because I can connect it so quickly to real people yeah. <laughs> and real, real today experiences. Um, so there's something to be said for Avatar and its kind of exploration of culture. And, and I, I take my hat off for Cameron for bringing that into a science fiction action massive, the biggest film of all time. Yeah. I don't think the commentary has really, the conversation has really happened around that movie as much as it should have. No. Um, well, why do you guys think that is? Because, I mean, oh, it is still the biggest movie of all time, but I feel like, uh, and other other places have talked about this, um, the, the cultural impact of Avatar, it, it's just, it's not as big as some other properties. And I, I, I know, you know, Disney World has Avatar Land and the sequels are coming out sometime, maybe, in the future. Um, but unlike other things that came out around the same time mm. that have gone on to become, you know, real franchises or standalones, which people, you know, refer back to. Um, I'm thinking of stuff like, you know, Children of Men, which it, it, people are still going back to retrospectives and mm. like, oh, this is the greatest, greatest movie. And after it touched so many people on such a deep level and 10 years later, like not many people think about it or remember it at all. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's definitely due to the genre of the film. Mm-hmm. And I think in one part it's because it was so groundbreaking technologically when it was first mm-hmm. released that of course people are going to focus on how advanced it was for its time rather than the actual um, cultural impacts of its storyline. And I also think that it wasn't taken the way it should have been purely because it's a science fiction film. Mm. And those films that have that cultural impact, you usually find them in independence or in Oscar-nominated films for their genre. Whereas Avatar, because it sits in the science fiction genre, I feel like the Academy would only really take it on that level and to explore it further would be to go against the grain of what they've perpetuated against science fiction films for so long you know it's make-believe it's made up and we only buy into that world on the basis that we know it's it's fiction well interesting you say bring up the academy because there was there's been a lot of debate about the whole popular mm. there's a this academy's this year is it's, t- it's this tomorrow isn't it it's oh, tomorrow. or monday yeah. for us yeah monday um, for us but um at the time of recording i should say because this will probably be released a little bit after the oscars um but <laughs> we so there was a lot of debate about the popular oscar category and <laughs> and that was rejected and then you see so i hear what you're saying Sinead, but then you see like Black Panther's nominated for Best Picture this year. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know what I mean? And that film is, in terms of cultural conversation, it's pretty fascinating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just think that they take 
ages to, to pick it up. You know what I mean? The Oscars yeah. take like 10, 15 years longer than everybody else to kind mm-hmm. of acknowledge some of these movies. Like Black Panther is an incredible film, not only because of its special effects, but because it finally gives people of colour a chance to reflect and see themselves in the media, which should have been something that happened when, you know, films were first made. And the fact that we had to wait until 2018 for that to happen is one part disgusting and the other part horrifying. But to finally have that, it seems like the ball is finally rolling. And I hope it does win big, you know, Best Picture. And I hope that the Film Academy can look at it and say, oh, well, we need to put more funding into this and casting needs to improve and diversity needs to not just be casting for diversity. It needs to be because it doesn't matter what colour these people are. It's about who, who the actors are and, and how good they are. Mm. and giving mm. people a chance to see themselves on the screen and, and have that moment of, oh, I could do that, mm. you know? I agree. And, and also that film as well, like it has like like the, the, the Pizza Nyong'o character and and the Black Panther character, I don't know the actor's name, um, and then the Michael B. Jordan character. There's all these different like, um, like you've got the extra layer of like all these different polit- polit- political kind of viewpoints mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. about um, pushing back against the oppressive cultures. So it's it's pretty impressive. I mean, bringing back to the kind of films that we're talking about and talking about Avatar, yeah. It, uh, like I think about the, the the Batman movies and how massive they've which, been, which and we still movies? the Dark Knight series. Okay. <laughs> like we're still kind of talking about those. I think. Yeah. And, and I hear what you're saying, William. Like Avatar, it's gonna be interesting to see how the sequels go. Yeah, mm. I wonder if it will. St- yeah, because when that tree came down, I was sitting on the edge of the bed and I was like, they have no idea what they've just. <laughs> yeah, done. yeah. You've just you've just taken a graveyard. You've just mm. taken their ancestors. That's their history, and you don't care. Mm. And oh, I was in tears. I was like, you talk. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, ugh, All for unobtainium. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we may be talking about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not have thought of a better name. <laughs> Thank you for listening to another episode of Cinema in Context. If you enjoyed our podcast, then please share it with your film-loving friends. You can listen to Cinema in Context through SoundCloud or through Apple Podcasts. You can also follow us on Facebook or subscribe to us on Twitter or YouTube which are great places to let us know what you think of this episode or give us suggestions for future films to discuss or compare. Look out for our next episode in a month's time, and until then, kakite anō.